0: So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. What happens to a man when he can't leave the house? When he can't interact with other people, or he can in a limited way? He's not himself. When he's used to working amongst other people in an office environment... And he's used to going out with friends in public where you're around other people who are strangers and that sort of thing. You have a certain kind of uh, personality. You have uh, the drama, the push and pull of emotions that happen at work, conflicts and other things. And then you have the the push and pull and drama of uh, being out in public with your friends, like at a bar or something. And you see someone looking at you. You "Ah, Yeah, you're looking at me. Ooh, I wonder if it's romantic or if, if someone behind me as it uh, looks like someone you might have known in high school. It's, it's part of the excitement. Well, when you're trapped by yourself, you still have the same thoughts and feelings and drama, but it's not geared towards other people, just yourself. It's kind of like the movie uh, Castaway with America's favorite actor, Tom Hanks. And you, you see how he still has the same Worries and cares and victories and failures that you would have in a life amongst people. But for him, it's just on an island with a a volleyball named Wilson. He even loses Wilson in the depths of the ocean. And it's a touching, it's actually genuinely a touching moment. Uh, You have the same things, but for me, it's yard work. Uh, I am furloughed. I'm not sick anymore, which is nice. So I'm out doing yard work. And uh, I decided I'm going to order a bunch of mulch, just a ton of it. And I was going to do my entire front and backyard with mulch. And uh, boy, was I excited. I sat around thinking about it in my free time and that sort of thing. And, and it finally showed up. And uh, after six hours, I found out I could only just mulch the front yard. So that sucked. But uh, boy, it gave me something to do. I was out there running around, feeling like a productive person and getting tired. And oh, it's so much fun. There's the push and pull of uh, seeing people walk by on the sidewalk. Uh, do they notice the difference in my yard? Do they, did they judge me before? Or do they think fondly of me now? And uh, you have the sort of the same experience. Um, another thing that's obsessed, uh, taken over my mind, is SodaStream. It's a, a contraption where you can carbonate your own water. But my daughter, she said that she knows somebody that actually carbonated milk. And they said it was good. And that was a weird thing, because it put me into a sort of turmoil of uh, kind of an uncanny valley. Which, if you don't know what that is, it's, when you, it's a term defined for when you're watching CG animation. They try really hard to make it look real, the 3D. And uh, it looks real, but also you can tell that it's not. Their eyes are dead. They don't move normally, and that sort of thing. So then you have a tough time, so you can't get comfortable. You you know it's a cartoon because it's CG animation, but then you also, it looks really, really real and you can't settle yourself into one or the other. Uh, that's the way I feel about carbonated milk. If you carbonate milk, your first thought is, ah eh, gross. But then you think, eh, it's just milk. It's creamy, well with bubbles in it. Then you think, ah, gross. Then you think, well, A&W uh, Root Beer Floats is ice cream with bubbles in it. Isn't that the same thing? And you go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So, I drink a lot of carbonated water. And so I thought, ah, maybe I'll get my own soda stream. I can stop going to the store all the time. And so, uh, but then my other thought was milk. And it's all I think about. I'm trying to decide if I like it or not before I sip it. And uh, it's eating up all my time and emotions. And the last thing? Josh Gad. Uh perhaps America's next favorite actor. He starred in The Book of Mormon. Uh, he starred in uh, Beauty and the Beast, the live-action version. I don't know what else. He's been in a lot of stuff. I wound up watching on Hulu uh, an FX show called The Comedians with Billy Crystal and Josh Gad. I didn't think anything of it. Uh, I've seen the live-action Beauty and the Beast because of my frickin' daughters. But, uh, and he was alright in it. And so I see this and I'm like, eh, well, this show's... I'm, I got nothing else going on. So I watch it. Think it's gonna be a lot of... It's Billy Crystal's. He's older. Older people just make cute jokes. And I'm like, this will, you know, be mildly entertaining, but I probably won't even finish it. It's only one season. It was from 2016. Um, the show wound up great. Billy Crystal's fine. He's good. But it was Josh Gad that stole the show. Oh, every time Josh Gad got on the screen. Oh, how I'd laugh and titter to myself. Uh... There's a scene where he's uh, with his, wearing short shorts and he's got testicles hanging out and he's trying to spot Billy Crystal as Billy Crystal's trying to lift weights so his balls keep getting out of his face. Uh, oh, the hilarity. Uh, lowbrow humor, but it was on purpose to make fun of Josh Gad. Loved it. Found myself out in the yard giggling to myself about some of Josh Gad's jokes. And found myself wondering, like, uh, what else has he done? Should I watch more things by Josh Gad? And it's just something about his sideburns. And I don't know, I just, just generally uh, appreciate the man and his work. So, mentioned it in the last podcast with Ben. And as I was posting on Instagram, I thought, oh, it would be funny if I tag Josh Gad. It's not like he's going to see it, but it's just funny that I'm making a point of delving into my obsession with Josh Gad. And uh, I tagged him. And then... Uh, I thought oh, I'll go look at his, uh, his Instagram stream and see what photos he's got up there and he's got a bunch of photos of other people and a lot of videos of other people and then there's one where it's Josh Gad laying in bed with no shirt on and he's holding the phone up so you're looking down at him and he's got an expression of seriousness and complacency he's just looking up at you and I thought oh he just sexualized himself and now I don't like Josh Gad anymore. kind of creeps me out. So, I feel icky inside. But with that, uh, let's move on with the show. Well... Since I didn't plan anything ahead of time, I'm just going to read another story from the Red Fairy book, like last week. Uh, it's a story by, uh, collected by Andrew Lang. We've already went over him, so I'm not going to talk about him again. Let's dive into the next story. Ah, Snowdrop! Once upon a time, in the middle of winter, when the snowflakes were falling like feathers on the earth, the queen sat at a window framed in black ebony and sewed. And as she sewed and gazed out to the white landscape, she pricked her little finger with a needle, and three drops of blood fell onto the snow outside because of the red showed out so well against the white, she thought to herself, so she's sewing with the window open? Oh, what wouldn't I give to have a child as white as snow, as red as blood, and as black as ebony? That's a weird thing to say. And her wish was granted. Ew. For not long after a little daughter was born to her, her skin as white as snow, lips and cheeks as red as blood, and hair as black as ebony. They called her uh, Snowdrop. And not long after her birth, the queen died after a year, the king married again. His new wife was a beautiful woman, but so proud and overbearing that she couldn't stand any rival to her beauty. She possessed a magic mirror, and when she used to stand before it, gazing at her own reflection, and ask, A hey, mirror, mirror hanging there, who in all the land's most fair? It always replied, Yeah, you're most fair, my lady queen, none fairer than the land, I ween. Then she was quite happy, for she knew the mirror always spoke the truth. But Snowdrop was growing prettier and prettier every day. And when she was seven years old, she was as beautiful as she could be, and fairer even than the queen herself. One day, when the latter asked her mirror the usual question, he replied, "Ah, mother, the queen, you are fair, tis true, but Snowdrop is fairer far than you." Then the queen flew into the most awful passion, and turned every shade of green in her jealousy. From this hour, she hated poor Snowdrop like poison, and every day her envy, hatred, and malice grew. For envy and jealousy are like evil weeds, which spring up and chuck the heart. At last, she could endure Snowdrop's presence no longer, and calling a huntsman to her, she said, take the child out of the woods and never let me see her face again you must kill her and bring me back her lungs and liver (laughs) that I may know for certain she is dead the huntsman did as he was told let snow drop out into the wood but as he was in act of drawing out his knife to slay her she began to cry said "Ah, ah dear huntsman spare my life and I promise to fly forth into the wide wood, and never to return home again. And because she's so young and pretty, the huntsman had pity on her and said, Well, run along, poor child, for he thought to himself, The wild beasts will soon eat her up. And his heart felt lighter because he hadn't had to do the deed himself. But he let a kid out into the woods to survive. (laughs) And as he turned away, a young boar came running past. So he shot it and brought its lungs and liver home to the queen as proof that Snowdrop was really dead. And the wicked woman had them stewed in the salt and ate them up, thinking she had made an end of Snowdrop forever. Gross. Now, when the poor child found herself alone in the big wood, the very heavy trees around her seemed to assume strange shapes, and she felt so frightened she didn't know what to do. Then she began to run over the sharp stones, And through the bramble bushes, wild beasts ran past her, but they did her no harm. She ran as far as her legs would carry her, and as evening approached, she saw a little house, and she stepped inside to rest. Everything was very small in the little house, but cleaner and neater than anything you could imagine. In the middle of the room, there's still a little white table, covered with a white tablecloth and seven little plates and forks and spoons and knives and tumblers. Side by side against the wall, there were seven little beds covered with snow-white counterpanes. Snowdrop felt so hungry and thirsty that she ate a bit of bread and a little porridge from each plate and drank a drop of wine out of each tumbler. Then, feeling tired and sleepy, she laid down on one of the beds, but it wasn't comfortable. And then she tried all the others to turn, but one was too long, the other too short. What is going on here? And it was only when she got to the seventh one that she found one to suit her exactly. So she laid down upon it and said her prayers like a good child. And fell fast asleep. When it got quite dark, the masters of the little house returned. There were seven dwarves who worked in the mines, right down deep in the heart of the mountain. They lighted their seven little lamps, and as soon as they guys got accustomed to the glare, they saw that someone had been in the room. For all was not the same order as they had left it. The first said, who's been sitting in my little chair? The second said, who's been eating my little loaf? I love that they say little. The third said, who's been tasting my porridge? I like the third one. The fourth said, who's been eating out of my little plate? The fifth said, who's been eating my little fork? The sixth said, who's been cutting with my little knife? The seventh said, who's been drinking out of my little tumbler? Then the first dwarf looked round and saw a little hollow in his bed, and he asked again, He's been laying in my bed. The others came running round and cried when they saw their beds. Somebody's been laying in ours too. But when the seventh came to his bed, he started back in amazement, for there he beheld Snowdrop, fast asleep. Then he called the others, who turned the little lamps full on the bed. And when they saw Snowdrop lying there, they nearly fell down with surprise. Ah, oh, goodness gracious, they cried "What a beautiful child. And they were so enchanted by her beauty that they did not wake her, but let her sleep in the little bed. But the seventh dwarf slept with his companions one hour in each bed. That's complicated. And in this way, he managed to pass the night. In the morning, Snowdrop awoke. But when she saw the seven little dwarfs, she felt very frightened. But they were so friendly and asked her what her name was in such a kind way that she replied, I am Snowdrop. Why'd you come to our house? Continued the dwarves. Then she told them about her stepmother had wished to put her to death and the huntsman had spared her life and how she had run the whole day uh, until she had come to their little house. The dwarves, when they had heard her sad story, asked her, "Eh, eh, will you stay and keep house for us? cook and make beds and the washing and sew and knit And if you give satisfaction and keep everything neat and clean you shall want for nothing yes answered Snowdrop I will gladly do all you ask and so she took up her abode with them every morning the dwarves went into the mountain to dig for gold and in the evening when they returned home Snowdrop always had their supper ready for them but during the day the girl was left quite alone Sa, the good dwarves warned her, saying, eh, "'Beware your stepmother. "'She will soon find out you are here, "'and whatever you do, don't let anyone in the house.' "'Now the queen, "'after she thought she had eaten snowdrops, lungs, and liver, "'never dreamed that she was once more "'the most beautiful woman in the world. "'So stepping before the mirror one day, she said, eh, "'Mirror, mirror, hang in there. "'Who in all the lands most fair?' The mirror replied, My lady queen, you are fair, tis true, but Snowdrop is far fairer than you. Snowdrop, who dwells with the seven little men, is as fair as you as fair again. Well, when the queen heard these words, she was struck nearly dumb with horror, for the mirror always spoke the truth, and she knew now that the huntsman must have deceived her, and that Snowdrop is still alive. Oh, she pondered day and night how she might destroy her, for as long as she felt she had a rival in the land her jealous heart left her no rest. At last she hit upon a plan. She stained her face and dressed herself up as an old peddler wife so that she was quite unrecognizable. And in this guise she went over the seven hills till she came to the house of the seven dwarves. There she knocked at the door calling out the same time. "'Fine wares to sell, fine wares to sell!' Snowdrop peeped out of the window and called out, "'Good day, Mother. What have you to sell?' "'Oh, good wares, fine wares,' she answered. "'Laces of every shade and description.' "'She held up one. Hey, that was me. Some "'Gay-colored silk. "'Surely I can let the honest woman in,' thought Snowdrop. "'So she unbarred the door and, and bought the pretty lace.' "'Oh, good gracious, child,' said the old woman. "'What a figure you've got. "'Come, I'll lace you up properly for once.' "'Snowdrop, suspecting no evil, "'stood before her and let her lace her bodice up. And "'The old woman laced her so quickly and so tightly "'that it took Snowdrop's breath away, "'and she fell down dead. "'Oh, for real? "'Now you are no longer the fairest,' "'said the wicked old woman, and she hastened away. "'In the evening?' The seven dwarfs came home. And you may think what a fright they got when they saw their dear snowdrop lying on the floor and still as motionless as a dead person They lifted her up, oh, tenderly. And when they saw how tightly laced she was, they cut the lace into two. And then she began to breathe a little and gradually came back to life. When the dwarves heard what had happened, they said, uh, Depend on it. The old peddler wife was none other than the old queen. In the future, eh, you must be sure not to let no one in if we are not at home. As soon as the wicked old queen got home, she went straight to her mirror and said, Mirror, mirror, hang in there. Uh, Who had all the lands most fair? The mirror answered as before, "Uh, My lady queen, you are fair, tis true, but Snowdrop is far fairer than you. Snowdrop, who dwells with the seven little men is as fair as you is fair again. Oh, when she heard this, she became as pale as death, because she saw at once the snowdrop must be alive again. Ah, this time, she said to herself, I will think of something that will make an end to her once and for all. And by the witchcraft which she understood so well, she made a poisonous comb. Then she dressed herself up and assumed the form of another old woman, so she went over the seven hills till she reached the house of the seven dwarfs, and knocking at the door she called out, "'Find for sale!' Yeah." The snowdrop looked out of the window and said, "'You must go away, for I may not let anyone in.'" "'Ah, but surely you're not forbidden to look out,' the old woman said, and she held out the poisonous comb for her to see. Oh, it pleased the girl so much that she let herself be taken in and opened the door. When they had settled the bargain, the old woman said, Now I'll comb your hair properly for you for once in the way. Poor Snowdrop thought no evil, but hardly had the comb touched her hair, than the poison worked, and she fell down unconscious. Now, my fine lady, you are really done for this time, said the wicked woman. It made her way home as fast as she could. Fortunately, it was now near... Evening, and the seven dwarves returned home. When they saw Snowdrop lying dead on the ground, they had once suspected that her wicked stepmother had been at work again. So they searched till they found the poisonous comb, and the moment they pulled it out of her head, Snowdrop came herself again, aha, and told them what had happened. Not much of a poisonous comb, then. Then they warned her once again, Be on your guard, and not to open the door for anyone. As soon as the queen got home, she went straight to the mirror. And ask me, mirror, or hanging there, who in all the lands was fair? As before, hey, my lady queen, you are fair, tis true, but Snowdrop is fairer than you, Snowdrop who dwells within the seven little men. As fair as you, as fair again. When she heard these words, they literally trembled and shook with rage. Snowdrop shall die, she cried. Yes, though it cost me my own life. Then she went to a little secret chamber, which no one knew about but herself. And there she made a poisonous apple. Outwardly, oh, it looked beautiful. White with red cheeks. So that everyone who saw it longed to eat it. But anyone who might do so would certainly die on the spot. When the apple was quite finished, she stained her face and dressed herself up as a peasant so she went over the seven hills, the seven dwarfs. She knocked at the door as usual. Oh, but Snowdrop put her head out of the window and called out, I may not let anyone in. The seven dwarfs have forbidden me to do so. I, uh, are you afraid of being poisoned? <laughs> asked the old woman. See, I will cut this apple in half. I'll eat the white cheek, and you can eat the red. Ah, but the apple was so cunningly made that only the red cheek had the poison. Snowdrop longed to eat the tempting fruit, and when she saw that the peasant woman was eating it herself, she couldn't resist the temptation any longer, and stretching out her hand, she took the poisonous half. But hardly had the first bite passed her lips. Then she fell down dead on the ground. Then the eyes of the cool queen sparkled with glee and laughing aloud. She cried, as white as snow, as red as blood, and black as ebony. This time, the dwarves won't be able to bring you back to life. Then she got home and asked the mirror, 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 uh, hang in there. Who in all the land is most fair? This time it replied, Oh, you're most fair, my lady queen. None fair in the land, I ween." Then her jealous heart was at rest, at least as much at rest as a jealous heart could ever be. The little dwarves came home in the evening. They found Snowdrop lying on the ground, and she neither breathed nor stirred. They lifted her up and looked round everywhere to see if they could find anything poisonous about. They unlaced uh, her bodice, combed her hair, and washed her with water and wine. Oh, who washes with wine? Uh, probably Josh Gad. But all in vain, the child was dead and remained dead then they placed her on a bier, whatever that is and all seven dwarves sat around it weeping and sobbing for three whole days at last they made up their minds to bury her but she looked as blooming as a living being and her cheeks were still such a lovely color that they said eh, we can't hide her away in the black ground so they made a coffin made of transparent glass And they laid her in it and wrote on the lid in golden letters that she was a royal princess. Then they put the coffin on the top of the mountain, and one of the dwarves always remained beside it and kept watch over it. And the very birds of the air came and bewailed Snowdrop's death. Uh, First an owl, uh, then a raven, uh, and last of all, ah, a little dove. Snowdrop lay a long time in the coffin, and she always looked the same just as if she were fast asleep, had remained as white as snow, as red as blood, and her hair as black as ebony. And it happened uh, one day that a prince came to the wood and passed by the dwarf's house. He saw the coffin on the hill with a beautiful snowdrop inside it, and uh, when he had read what was written on it in the golden letters, he said to the dwarf, Give me the coffin, and I'll give you whatever you like for it. Uh, but the dwarf said No. "'We wouldn't part with it for all the gold in the world.' Uh, well then,' he replied, "'give it to me, because I can't live without Snowdrop. "'I will cherish and love it as my dearest possession.' "'He spoke so sadly that the good dwarfs had pity on him "'and gave him the coffin. "'And the prince made his servants bear it away on their shoulders. "'Now it happened that as they were going down the hill, "'they stumbled over a bush.' and jolted the coffin so violently uh, that the poisonous bit of the apple uh, snowdrop it swallowed fell out of her throat. Uh, she gradually opened her eyes and lifted up the lid of the coffin and sat up alive and well. Oh, dear me, where am I? She cried. The prince answered joyfully, uh, You are with me? And he told her all that had happened, adding, I love you better than anyone in the whole world. Will you come with me to my father's palace and uh, yeah, yeah, be my wife? Snowdrop, Consented, weirdly enough, and went with him, and the marriage was celebrated with great pomp and splendor. Now, Snowdrop's wicked stepmother who was one of the guests invited to the wedding feast, and when she dressed herself very gorgeously for the occasion, she went to the mirror, 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 in there. Who in all the land's most fair? And the mirror answered, oh my lady queen, you are fair, tis true, but Snowdrop is fairer, uh, far fairer than you." When the wicked woman heard these words. She added a curse. It was beside herself with rage and mortification. At first, she didn't want to go to the wedding at all. But at the same time, she felt she could never be happy till she had seen the young queen. As she entered, Snowdrop recognized her and nearly fainted with fear. But red-hot iron shoes had been prepared for the wicked old queen, and she was made to get into them and dance till she fell down dead. Well, that was weird. That was like a hodgepodge of a million different fairy tales all rolled into one. And then uh, it ends with the uh, evil queen wearing iron shoes where she dances to death. And they just kind of gloss over that part. You have this evil queen who's ruining this little girl's life for jealous reasons. Which I love that she only talks in the mirror by saying, Mirror, mirror, uh, hanging over there. Who's the most fair? That's weird kind of casual, but she dies by dancing to death with iron shoes. I want to know more about that, but I guess we're not gonna. I don't know how to tie this in, uh, but I gotta say that I'm kind of into the Red Fairy book because it's so weird. The previous story about a guy that can never die, he gets kept in a closet, he needs like nine buckets of water to get up and wreak havoc around the world. And now this one is basically Snow White and the three bears all rolled into one. And love in these stories just kind of happens. It's like uh, having indigestion. Ah, I saw this woman in a glass coffin and I'm in love with her. And Oh, lucky me, that poison apple in her throat popped out because my henchmen were clumsy and dropped the thing. And now she's alive and I'm going to marry her, know nothing about her. Eh, you don't know if she's racist. Eh, you don't know what her uh, political views are. But he's just going to marry her just because he can. So that was weird. I don't know how to tie this into Josh Gad or lawn work. But eh, that's about the extent of my life. I'm eh, here for the next episode to read another one. I have nothing going on, nothing has any meaning anymore. So, with that, thanks for listening.